Well, welcome everybody at all of our campuses meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. So glad you made it to church on a great Sunday. Uh, welcome to those of you also who are watching online today around the country and world, wherever you might be, in your living rooms, computer rooms, dorm rooms, wherever you might be today watching online. We're so glad that you joined us as well. And we are in a series uh, today called Made for More, and the question I'm asking us to think about is, what is the more, what is the more that you were made for? What is the more that God made you for? I believe all of us, every single one of us, have opportunities in our life that are yet to be discovered or realized. You and I were made to do more, risk more, overcome more, and achieve more than we probably think right now. One of my life verses is, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. There are things that God wants me to do, God wants you to do, and we do them through Christ not on our own power, but through Christ who gives us the strength. There is a more that we were made for. The specific question I'm asking today is what is your main purpose in life? What is your main purpose in life? All of us have one, but I think most people don't know what their purpose is. Author John Maxwell calls it your why. Why do you exist? Why are you on planet Earth? He says once you find your why, you will find your way. Your why is your purpose, your way is your path. If you've been around our church for any length of time, you've heard me talk about a pastor friend of mine. His name is Mark Kelby, lives in Red Wing, Minnesota. He's from Southern Illinois, and really more of a redneck than anything. But several years ago, Mark and his older brother, John, were hunting ducks down in, the, in Southern Illinois. They were riding in John's duck boat, and they were trying to get to a particular slough that they wanted to hunt that day. They came to the end of this long body of water, and where they needed to go was on the other side of just a little thin strip of land. This piece of land was only five feet wide, but it was separating them from this body of water to the other slough where they wanted to go. There was another party with them that day hunting in another boat, and when this party came to this little stretch of land, they, of course, got out of their flat-bottomed John boat, pulled it across this piece of land, and then climbed back in their boat like normal people would do. Mark's brother John looked at that and said to Mark, sit down and hang on. <laughs> he took a big swing out of the lake. He turned and pointed his boat straight at this little strip of land. John pulled the motor up on shallow drive, opened the throttle full bore, and came flying toward this strip of land. Mark clutched the gunnels of John's boat, waiting for impact, you know. John's boat hit this land with a bone-crushing jolt. Decoys and hunting gear went flying everywhere. They almost killed themselves, but they flew over that piece of land and landed safely with a splash on the other side. Mark turned around and said to John, what is wrong with you? John kind of shrugged his shoulders and said, well, you can't baby the equipment. I love that answer. That's a great answer. But then he said something I've never forgotten. He said, Mark, I have a philosophy in life. For me, he said, I think it's a sin to have something and not use it to its fullest potential. <laughs> now, that's not in the Bible, but it could be. I love that statement. It's a sin to have something and not use it to its fullest potential. It's a lot like the TV show American Pickers. And I've mentioned this before, but you know, Mike and 
uh, Frank travel around the country knocking on doors of junkyards and farms looking for stuff to buy. And Mike's favorite thing are old bicycles that he'll find under a pile of junk back in someone's shed. He'll pull this bike out, has broken spokes, bent rims, and a missing seat. And you'll say to the guy, how much do you want for that? And the guy who's like 97 living on fumes will say, I don't think I want to part with that. <laughs> Mike, Mike will say, how about 100 bucks? You know, the guy's in a walker, he's got three weeks to live. But he'll say, I still might have use for that. It's like, you got to be kidding me. Guy didn't even know he had it until Mike dragged it out. But instead of restoring this bike and putting it to use, it will rot in that shed. Friends, I'm telling you, it is a sin to have something and not use it to its fullest potential. But here's the deal. I think, I think that's what a lot of people do with their lives. They have all this potential to do something significant. You know, like sponsor a child. You can do this or help your neighbor, or lead a Bible study, or start a business, or go on a missions trip and make a difference that way, but make a difference in somebody's life. Instead, what a lot of people do, they keep that potential hidden in a shed, and it never gets used. So again, what is your purpose? Why are you on planet Earth? What is the more that God made you for? Is there anything more that you can do to make your family better? Anything you can do to make your school, church, team, neighborhood, or world a better place to live? Here's the key verse, Ephesians 2.10. You, every single one of you, watching online as well, every single one of you, you are God's masterpiece. You don't hear that very often about you, do you? You hear a lot of other stuff. But you are God's masterpiece created anew in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. This verse says that you and I are God's masterpiece. It means there's something uniquely special about how God designed every single one of you. You are intelligently and lovingly designed by God for a purpose, you sit on the mantle of God's heart, and every time he looks at you, he says, wow, wow, what a masterpiece. That also means the person sitting next to you is a masterpiece. I know they don't look like it or seem like it sometimes. You got to get past the mess and whatever else, you know. But there is a masterpiece in that person somewhere. It might be hidden and marred by sin. I get it, but it's there. Last week, I was holding my three-month-old grandson, Henry, and I, I looked at him, and I thought, every baby, every human being is a masterpiece created by God, wonderfully made in his image, intelligent, creative, and magnificent. I said to my son, David, he's perfect. He's a wonderful little boy. We don't know what God has in store for him, but part of my purpose as his granddad is to teach him right from wrong and how to hunt and how to find Christ in that order, kind of, <laughs> you know, or whatever. Whatever order it takes. 
man, you're a masterpiece. I hope that sinks in. You are a masterpiece. And I know some of you don't feel like it. You don't believe that. You've been knocked around. But you are. There's amazing potential in every one of you, but the verse goes on. You are God's masterpiece created anew in Christ. Every human being is a masterpiece with an array of natural abilities, but the ultimate masterpiece is when a person is created anew in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians says it this way, if anybody is in Christ, they are a new person. They're a new creation. All of us have natural abilities, but when someone puts their trust in Jesus, they, be, they actually become a different new person. They're created anew, and they're given certain supernatural abilities called spiritual gifts. So for example, maybe you have a natural ability to teach, but if you become a Christian, God infuses his spirit and power on your natural ability and he elevates your teaching ability to a different level for a greater purpose. It's the same with abilities like leading or serving, encouraging, knowledge, wisdom. There is a more that you were made for, especially if you're a believer. You might not know what it is right now, but it's there. Created anew in Christ. The verse goes on. You are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ to do good works. Now we're getting at what the purpose is in our lives. Uh, God has, has put his unique touch on your life. He's given you unique abilities and unique passions. For example, I couldn't teach math or finance if my life depended on it, but I can teach biblical truth. I can't find my way out of a parking lot or mall, but I can almost discern someone's character instantly. Give me one or two minutes of conversation with somebody. I can discern it's a, it's a spiritual gift that God has given. I can kind of tell what this person's about. So what God purposes you to do in life will be very different than what God purposes me to do. So what are the good works that God has prepared for you to do? Because when you find out what that is, you're gonna know your purpose. But there's two parts to this good works things that Paul is talking about. There's good works, small g, and all of us are called to every day to good works, small g, but there's good works, big g, that's very specific to each of our lives. And I wanna comment on, on good works, little g first. If you're a follower of Christ, especially, your entire life should be characterized and marked by good works, not to get saved, not to earn salvation, but because you are saved, and you just do good works because you're so grateful to God. Titus 3.1 says it this way, be ready to do whatever is good. So part of our general purpose as believers in Christ, especially, and I know some of you are just checking this out, and that's great that you're here, but for believers especially, is to look for chances to do whatever is good. Little g, for example, Several years ago, our family of four was dropped off at the airport. We were going on vacation. We had a lot of luggage, two golf bags for my son and me, and then four other large bags filled with women's shoes and other stuff. I don't know what it was. 
but nothing we couldn't handle on ourselves. But a curbside porter offered his help, and before I could decline it, my son David, who was 17, nodded and accepted his help. So I reached for a couple of bucks. David beat me to it and slipped the guy a $5 bill. And my knee-jerk reaction was not what a generous son we have, ready to do whatever's good. My knee-jerk reaction was, first, I wish he'd give me five bucks once in a while. <laughs> and second, that's way too much to give a guy who worked a whole 30 seconds, you know, carrying our bags from the cart to the curb, or curb to the cart, whatever. So when the guy left, I said, Dave, that's way too much. And without missing a beat, my son turned to me and said, Dad, I know what it's like to be stiffed in the bag room at work. And I know what it's like to have a nice tip. It either ruins your day or makes your day. I thought, you know, you could make my day by giving me five bucks <laughs> if you want to do that. But that was several years ago. I've never forgotten what David said to me. I've gotten better at this, but I've not mastered, I'll be honest, I've not mastered this skill of doing good. Truth is, sometimes I hit the pillow at night and congratulate myself because I wasn't a total jerk during the day. Or I didn't react to somebody who sinned against me in traffic, or I didn't think poorly of the guy who's hogging the weight machine that I want, but he's fiddling with his phone. Does that drive you crazy? It drives me nuts. God says, look, it's just elementary Christianity to tip generously. Hold your cool in traffic. Show patience toward the guy in the weight machine. Those are just small acts of goodness that all of us should do. So going back to the verse, though, you are God's masterpiece created anew in Christ to do good works that God's prepared, here it is, in advance for you to do. So there's a lots of little goods, but there's a specific good, a big good that God has prepared in advance for each of us to do. You might not know what it is yet. Sometimes it takes 30, 40 years to discover what this specific good is, but it's been prepared by God specifically for you to do. It took me about 30 years to find out that God's specific purpose for my life was to teach his truth in the context of a church. I've taught speech classes in, at Penn State, Bethel Seminary, in small group settings. I didn't like any of that. I hate the classroom. But I've always loved God's truth, and I've always loved the church, and those two loves came together to form my life's purpose, and that's what I want for every one of you, to find your purpose so you'll be fulfilled and add value to other people's lives. So in the remaining few minutes, when it comes to finding God's purpose for your life, there's three questions that you should ask yourself. What do you cry about? What makes you sing? And what are you good at? So first of all, what do you cry about? What makes you cry? In other words, what breaks your heart? What disturbs you? What causes you so much discomfort that whenever you see it or hear it, you say, I've got to do something about that? Oftentimes, these emotions will surface in childhood. So think back to when you were young. Man, I knew, I knew in my early teens what it was for me, at least part of my purpose. Uh, I, I played basketball and football in high school, so I spent hours and hours and hours with the same guys 
you know, at practice and riding on buses at night, going to and from games. We sat at the same lunch table every single day for four years in high school. These guys are my friends, and I cared about them. But I can still feel the emotional pain in my life and my heart when some of these same close friends would come to school high, literally. Or I saw them drunk at a party, or I'd listen to them describe the degrading things they did with some of the girls who were also my friends and just sitting a few tables over in the lunchroom. Every time, it broke my heart because I knew they were missing God's best for them and were laying a foundation of regret and failure that would follow them all life long. It breaks my heart to this day. Every single time when I read about or hear about a high school student or college students who are mistreating their minds and mistreating their bodies because I know how that's gonna damage their life and damage their relationships. And if you're a young person today, look at Ephesians chapter five. It says, be careful. Be careful how you live. The choices you make are gonna make your life. Be careful how you live. Make the most of your life because the days, I'm telling you, will take you down if you're not careful. Ever since I was a little kid, whenever God's truth was ignored or degraded, it just cut it was just in me. What is it for you? Maybe it's teen pregnancy. Maybe it's generational poverty. It just breaks your heart. Maybe it's addiction or financial fraud or an erosion of godliness on our university campuses today. It's incredible. What frustrates and irks you? That will point you to your purpose. Second, what makes you sing? What makes you sing? Not literally, but what fires you up besides the Vikings and wild, or whatever it is? What makes you, here it is, what makes you truly joyful? Truly happy? In my teens, I would have said hunting, sports, food, and girls. And I still love those, except for the girl thing. I have a girl, okay. But none of those things are the good works that God has purposed me to do. Today, what fires me up more than anything, even more than hunting pheasants in South Dakota, what fires, although I, I'm waiting for that, what fires me up more than anything is Easter and baptisms and transformation. What gets me out of bed every day are when people who aren't living by truth and are making a mess of their lives find Jesus and they start a new life and they're a new person in him. So what God did for me, he gave me a love for his truth, a love for his church, and then he gave me this teaching gift. And I don't know why he did it, but he did for the purpose of leading people into a relationship with him that'll change their life for the good. But here's the key. You don't need to have a teaching gift or be a part of a staff on church to have this same passion to impact others for Christ. Now, for example, um, all the moving camera shots that you online especially are watching today are from a jib that's being operated by a guy named Scott. 
Scott's a husband, a dad. He works in computers doing something. But on the weekends, he volunteers a couple months, a couple weeks out of the month. And when he volunteers on the weekend, he spends 10 hours in rehearsal and then, you know, the services that we do. And I just want to show Scott to you because here he is. You almost can't see him. He's dressed in black. But I'm telling you, God is using him and about 100 others like him at our campuses who are doing the same kinds of things. And that's Scott's purpose. He doesn't like being on camera. Did, did we show him? Did he come up? Okay. That's Scott's purpose. That's the good work that God's purposed him to do, helping people find Christ by working a camera. But let me expand this just a little bit because I work at a church where my profession is closely tied to my purpose, but that's very rare. Usually your profession, catch this, usually your profession is not your purpose. It might be part of it, but not all of it. So if you work in HR at Medtronic, for example, or you're a builder or an electrician, part of your purpose is to do a great job in that arena to bless others with the products and services that you provide. But you're not just an HR construction person. You are an ambassador for Jesus right there where you work. So you can pray for people at work. The people that you work with, you can treat them kindly. And when the time is right, you might even initiate a conversation about your faith. If God gives you that opportunity or invite them to church, usually your profession is not your purpose, but you can fulfill your purpose within your profession. But when you know what makes you cry and you know what makes you sing, you're getting closer to knowing your purpose. Third question is, what are you good at? Because, because you might love something or be passionate about something, but maybe you're not good at it. If you're not good at it, it's probably not your purpose. I used, I used to teach preaching to grad students. No kidding. 90% of them thought they were great preachers. And 90% of them were not. 90% of them were really bad and had no future in preaching. You know, maybe they in caring or counseling or doing pastor stuff, whatever. But it's the same with singing, writing, leading, teaching, creating, managing, or building. You can be passionate about something, but if you're not good at it, it's probably not your purpose. But if you are really good at something, there's a reason for that. You might not totally love what you do, but if you're good at it, God gave that to you for a reason. Maybe you can't teach or sing, so what? but you know how to run a business, you know how to make money, so maybe your purpose is to support causes that can make a huge difference in the world. I'm so grateful to those of you who get that. I mean, our church benefits, you support our church, other worthy causes, you can't teach or sing, and we wouldn't want you to in a million years, but you can fulfill a great purpose in a way that other people can't, and most of you know this, your main purpose in life is not about how much you gain. It's how much you give. Not just money, but time and effort. It's not about gaining. It's really about investing in relationships and other people. Jesus said it this way. Life comes down to two things, if you want to know. Two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
That's your number one purpose. Have a relationship with the God who made you and loves you. And the second purpose, Jesus said, love others like you love yourself. And I'm telling you, love is hard. Love requires sacrifice and giving and doing things you don't wanna do. That's what love is. So love the Lord your God, your number one purpose, and love others as you love yourself. If you use your life, I'm telling you, gang, if you use your life and resources just for yourself, just to entertain and accumulate for yourself, you're gonna miss it. You're gonna miss the joy. You're gonna miss your life's purpose. God's purpose for your life and mine has very little to do with the things that we have, our house, yard, and toys. And it has everything to do with investing in the lives of other people, and I so hope you get that. Now, one final thing before we kind of bring things up to a wrap. Focus is so important when it comes to fulfilling your purpose. God created every single one of you as a limited resource. You're a limited resource, and so am I. So here's the question. What are you not going to do so that you can accomplish what you're supposed to do? What are you not going to do? Every day I say no to stuff, every single day. Because if my purpose is to teach and lead primarily so our church can thrive, I have to say no, absolutely no to a lot of worthy causes. There are places I don't go, family events I miss all the time, opportunities I turn down every single week so that I can fulfill God's purpose for my life. And I'm telling you, not everybody is going to get that. Sometimes your parents aren't gonna get that. How come you can't come to the reunion? Well, because I've got to attend to my purpose. I gotta do this thing. They won't get it, you'll get criticized. Sometimes your twin brother won't get it. Your coworkers and your besties won't get it sometimes. But if you let somebody else drive your life, I'm telling you, you're gonna miss your purpose. You need to fulfill your purpose, not the purpose somebody else wants you to fulfill. It all comes back to what makes you cry, what makes you sing, and what are you really good at? Now, before we close, I had a chance to sit down with Matt Cullen this week. What a, what a treat that was. Matt's accomplished a lot in life. He's entering his 20th season in the NHL. He's won three Stanley Cups. Most hockey NHL players never even make it to the finals. He's won three Cups. He's back with the Wild this year, and Matt and his family attend our church. And so I sat down with Matt to talk about purpose. I want to show you this, then I'll come up and wrap up. Often referred to as the ageless wonder, veteran Matt Cullen became only the 59th player in history to play in 1,300 NHL games. He brings so much experience, and he's still an unbelievable player. It's crazy, like I haven't even played 300. He's over 1,300 now, but we're pretty lucky to have him on our squad. Well, he's an invaluable part of this team. Our coaching staff looks at Cully almost as an extension of our coaching staff. I think the players have great respect for him in the room. When he speaks, I think they listen. You learn so much from him just on a day-to-day -day basis, and over the course of the season, you learn how to handle yourself, you learn how to do certain things, and recognizing how long and how good of a career he's had is something special. Matt 
Matt, thanks so much for spending time with us today. You've had an awesome career. What's it like to be at the top? Three Stanley Cups, what is that like? Well, it's an awesome experience. It really is. It, there's no other way to describe it. It's just the coolest thing. And the coolest thing about it, I think, is when you grab the cup and you hold it over your head, you flash back to when you're a kid, you know, learning the game of hockey and just living and dying in the backyard rink. And we used to have a silver bucket that we'd carry over our heads that was a cup. So, you know, it's funny. Each time I wanted that flash through my head and I just can see it. You know, as kids growing up, uh, a lot of us dreamed of becoming a pro athlete. Talk to me about your dreams as a kid. And your dreams probably came true. Yeah. I mean, this is the only thing I ever dreamed of doing, which really? I know I'm lucky to be able to say that, to be able to do what I'm doing. And, you know, I was pretty good at it as a youngster. I wasn't amazing or anything, but I loved the game and was constantly trying to improve and find a way to get better all the way up. Um, you know, it's funny how my entire career I tried so hard to be a star in the league. Like, I worked so hard, I wanted to be a name people knew. And it wasn't until I was willing to accept being a fourth line player and being a role player and kind of letting the other guys have the attention that I found my best success the last two years, you know, and there's a lot of really good hockey players that never get to play in the NHL, and playing 20 years in the league, you know that you've been pretty blessed, that's for sure. So we're in this series called Made For More, thinking about <clears throat> the more that God has made us for. So beyond the ice, beyond the championships, is there something more that you were made for, Matt? I think it's, you know, playing hockey is my my profession and I'm lucky to be able to do for a profession something I dreamed of my whole life and it's a great living but it's pretty self-serving so I think the challenge is do you look outside of yourself a little bit and I'm blessed with a wife that really pushes me on that and helps me with that and I think we both believe that we've been given more than we deserve and uh, I think you know with that comes a little bit of responsibility to try to try to reach out beyond yourself and, and your own success. Describe a little bit how you're doing that. Yeah, we started a children's foundation for kids with cancer back home in Moorhead. And, um, it really, you feel like you walk away with more than you came with when you do it. Meeting the kids and trying to make a difference with them and help them out, it, uh, it's a really good feeling and, and it shows you how much more there is out there. Beyond that, how about your own family? My wife Bridget, um, we went to high school together, married in 2004. We have three boys. Their handful. And they love hockey? Yeah, they love the game. It's a big part of why I still am able to play is because they just love being around the game and love being around the rink. And it's really fulfilling for me as a dad to be able to share that with them. You know, I can't I can't teach them how to hammer a nail or, or build a treehouse. I just don't have that. But, you know, to have them at the rink with me is, um, I, you know, there's nothing better for me. I love getting to share that time with, with family. That fires me up more than anything. I, I treasure that time. You're 40. That means you're old in hockey years. Yeah, very old. The oldest right now. The oldest in the, in the league. NHL. Yeah. Bob Buford wrote a book years ago called Halftime. He said, you know, 40 is the first half of your life. Second half, next 40 is where the game is won or lost. What do you think your second half looks like in terms of purpose? I don't know yet. You know, Bridget and I pray a lot about our decisions, and you know, I just feel like every time that we've let go and left it in his hands, it has played out the right way and throughout my career when I've tried to kind of put out there what I want to do, kind of throw out my plans and say I, I think this is the right thing to do, you know, um, it doesn't seem to work out very well but when I sit back and try to listen for, for what he wants us to do, I think that's when we found our, our best fits and our, our best success in everything and you know I don't think anything good happens to you unless you take a risk so I know that you know whatever it is going to be I'm going to jump into it. And, Will you but, take me hunting? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah? I will. Don't North Dakota? Dakota? I'm not very good, but <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Matt, thanks so much for your time and for who you are as a man, uh, dad, husband, and hockey player. And we'll be watching you, praying for you all, all year long. So God bless you. Isn't that awesome? There you go, Matt. Uh, it was a real treat for me to be able to do that. And now we have a new reason to watch the wild <laughs> this year. Uh, Eric Stahl, by the way, also attends our church. Um, David Backus, the Boston Bruins. Uh, Matt Dumba has been around and a few others. And so there's hope in the hockey world. <laughs> Come on. Uh, yeah, there's hope. So Matt's won championships. He's made a great living in the NHL. But that's not what's most important to him. What's most important to you? What breaks your heart? What brings you true joy? What are you good at? If you don't know, sit with those three questions this week and just ask God to reveal it to you. It takes time. But God has a purpose for your life. And by the way, your purpose can change through the seasons. I mean, if you're a young parent, holy cow, those kids. I mean, they can drive you crazy. I know it just, but they, it's all consuming. And that's really your main purpose when they're young, especially. If you're a student, you got to study a lot. It's really, you know, one of your primary purposes. When you're young. If you're retired, there's different purposes for you. For my mom, it's prayer. My mom prays for me every day, prays for us, prays for our church. And I'll tell you what, I wouldn't be able to live without her, without her prayer. And so the seasons change, but gang, you are God's masterpiece. You are created anew in Christ for good works that God has prepared for every one of you in advance to do. I hope you find it. I believe you will. Let's stand at all campuses and close for prayer. God, thanks for Matt and Bridget their willingness to share their story with us a little bit. God, protect them. Such a great family. Bridget is so solid. And so is Matt. They're really, they're following fast after you, God, so protect him this year, and I pray that his influence will just increase and expand. God, thank you for every person standing here and watching online, wherever uh, they might be. God, you know every single person who's watching and listening and attending one of our campuses. You know everything about us. God, you made us. You created us as masterpieces. We don't feel like it sometimes, but we are. And I just pray, God, that you'll help us move into that. Help us to open our hearts to what our purpose is. It's never too late. Whether we're 12 years old or 92, you have a purpose for every one of us. God, I thank you for your love your grace, your goodness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless all of you. Thanks for coming out.